inside a caterpillar are all of the ingredients that in fact create the butterfly. But if you just looked at the caterpillar, it's brown, it's sluggish, it's crawling. There's no way you could envision a bright, beautiful flying cat. But reality and science tells us that is in fact possible. And I like to liken our business society today is a caterpillar. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. It is hard to believe, but 2022 is nearly in the books as we're recording this today. It, it just doesn't seem possible. But we now must focus on 2023 and beyond. Over the next series of episodes, we're going to be exploring that future and the trends that will be impacting you as a technology leader, a business leader, and frankly, as a human. I could think of no one better suited to kick off this series than our guest today. He's the best-selling author of 13 books. He's a sought-after keynote speaker on technology, change management, and leadership. Jack Aldrich is a renowned global futurist. And one of the things I have grown to appreciate is he's also a poet. Jack, welcome to Status Go. Jeff, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Uh, for our listeners, man, you missed out on a great conversation just as Jack and I were, you know, get, doing the mic check and everything. So I think this is going to be a, a fantastic uh, conversation. Jack, before we dive in, is there anything about your background, your journey that you want to share with our listeners uh, beyond the intro that I did to give them a sense of who's Jack? Yeah, so that's a, well, I, I would tell you this is that, um, and I don't often say this, is that if I look back at my career, everything that I am today sort of started with a, a failure in the sense <laughs> that um, the very first book I wanted to write was a novel, but it was it did not do well commercially. But then uh, my editor said, um, you know, you're a really good writer. And I was telling them, like, oh, I'm thinking about this next book. It's about this new emerging technology, nanotechnology. And they said, well, we can't, we're not going to give you an advance for a book about fiction about nanotechnology, but would you write a business book about it? Ah, and because ah. that happened, I sort of then fell into this uh, path. And even before that, I had run for public office once. I was unsuccessful, um, but I ran as an independent. But that failure then led me to meeting Jesse Ventura, who then ran as an independent. Oh. He became governor, and then I served in his cabinet as the head of the Office of Strategic Planning. So just quick background, former Navy, uh, worked for Ventura as the head of the Office of Strategic Planning. Really for the last uh, 20 years, I have been working as a futurist, thinking about emerging technologies and trying to help businesses think deeper and better about the future. And, and that that's what I love about your approach, Jack, because, uh, you know, sometimes we get this image of what is a futurist, right? And they do all these these great predictions and all that, but but you're really focused on helping people think about the future. Before we get into the future, I, I want to start by looking at the past, thinking about 2022. What surprised you about 2022? What surprised me about 20, 
22. I tell you, I think the thing that continues to surprise me about 2022 is even though we have lived through the pandemic, this idea that there are going to be additional shocks to the system, sort of low probability, high impact events is now simply our reality. And I, and I don't just mean, of course, COVID could mutate, we could have another pandemic, but there are these rare possibilities that are going to shift the futures. You know, the war in Ukraine mm-hmm. was one, but now a potential yeah. war with China over Taiwan, or uh, there are things the possibility of a solar storm is one of these weird events that people just don't think about. But if they happen, they're going to transform our world deeply. So I guess the thing that surprises me is business keeps going back to efficiency and a relentless focus on efficiency. And we need resilient systems is what we truly need. And so the fact that that message hasn't sunken in that deeply with business has surprised me. Yeah. And, and it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was I was reading a, an economic survey yesterday uh, about where investments in uh, in 2023 technology investments uh, specifically. Uh, and a lot of people are saying inefficiency. Right. It, it's still uh, we've been we've been uh, talking about efficiency and, and what technology can do in business from an efficiency perspective for decades now, and uh, we need to pivot. So and I've been reading some reports from, you know, Gartner and Infotech about some of the some of the trends in technology, but I, I love the way your bio states it, Jack. So here's what I, I'd love for you to paint a picture for our listeners. What are some of the possibilities that you're seeing that the future may bring from a technology slant? Yeah. So here's uh, like as a futurist, I love to study history. And one of my favorite examples is the printing press. No one would argue that that was a transformational technology. But Gutenberg's genius wasn't that he invented that out of thin air. His genius was he took four existing technologies. He took a wine press, movable type ink and paper, and he converged those into a platform. So when I think about the future of tomorrow, it is no one technology that's going to transform our world. It's not just 5G. It is not just cloud or edge computing. It's not just the internet of things or artificial intelligence or blockchain. It is going to be the convergence of all of those technologies. And they're going to allow us to think about our business, our business model in a fundamentally different way, how we can serve customers in different innovative ways. And then from a business perspective, if you don't understand this convergence, you're going to have new competitors who are thinking completely different about your business than you are today. And you'd better start becoming aware of these trends, thinking about how they can create new uh, platforms to do existing things better, faster, cheaper, but also do entirely new things in some really innovative ways. I, I love the, the the thinking about the convergence uh, of things, uh, and what it brought to mind was this this word we've been hearing a lot about the the metaverse. 
and I know Jack, know, knowing you, I know you've been doing some thinking, some reading, some research on on that concept of the metaverse. Where do you see that uh, playing out in business? Yeah, I think we're in really early days of the metaverse. You know, you know, just the top of the the first inning, really. And it's interesting, the metaverse like many new technologies gets overhyped. And, you know, mm -hmm. I saw articles saying this is a trillion dollar opportunity for the banking industry specifically. And I was like, whoa, hold a timeout. Like there's some potential. <laughs> I'm not sure trillion dollars, but I'll keep an open mind about this. But now you're already seeing the flip side and people are, they're bashing on Meta, formerly known as Facebook saying, yep. you know, Zuckerberg's really messed up by betting the farm on it. And I'm like, you know what, let's just step back, breathe, and understand that this technology, the metaverse, is in fact going to continue to transform. And so the way I think about it is this, is I'm not sure how many of your listeners would remember, but when the first e-reader came out, mm -hmm. it was big, fat, clunky, and expensive. And the publishing industry said, ah, we knew that would never work. People don't want to curl up with that device. And then the yeah, second one yeah. came out. It didn't do well. But eventually Amazon came out with the Kindle and people said, hey, the price point is good. It's it's not as good as reading a book, but you know what? I like it. I can carry hundred, you know, an unlimited yeah. number of books with it. And suddenly the world did shift. So just because something is bad at the beginning, and I think the metaverse is, most people mm -hmm. can't spend more than 30, 40 minutes in it before they get sick and tired of it. But does yeah, that yeah. mean that that will always be the case? No. So that's where I think we just have to step back, have some humility, but continue to stay aware of these trends and ask ourselves questions about the metaverse. How is it evolving? Are there new uses? Are there new cases? And just as a business leader to stay aware of it. Well, and, and it was almost the perfect segue to to uh, the the topic I want to dive into next is uh, I know you talk a lot about trends um, in some ways predictions although I know futurists don't really make predictions right they're really talking about trends that they're seeing and, and paying attention to um, but your work goes far beyond those aspects of it you help people think and think about the future. Uh, our listeners, as you know, are tech professionals, leaders, and executives. How should we be thinking about the future? There are so many ways we should be <laughs> thinking about the future. And maybe if I could just uh, walk through a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. The first one is, as a futurist, as you said, I do not claim to be able to predict the future. In fact, if you hear a futurist and he or she says they can predict the future, I would run away with from them as fast as possible. Because here's my point. Nobody has the answer to the future. But that, however, does not absolve any of us, especially leaders, of a more important responsibility. If we don't have the answer to the future, we'd better make damn sure we're asking the best possible questions. So one of the first things I like to do is I like to think in questions. What don't I know? What aren't I seeing? Uh, what do I need to be aware of? So spend some time doing that. Another critical principle is we all need to think paradoxically. People think the future is just going to unfold one way. That is not true. The future unfolds multiple different directions 
at the same time. And let me just give you two examples I just gave to a client this week. The first was, it was a food company, and I was talking about GMOs. Well, are GMOs good or are they bad? Are they going to be part of the future or not? You know what? Scientifically, GMOs are, have been proven to be very, very safe, but that's not how 70% of the public perceives them. And so, mm-hmm. yes, GMOs will be approved by the government and they will find a market, but there will be a lot of people who just don't touch it for a variety of different reasons. So GMOs are both. And I think the same thing with facial recognition technology. I'm older. I don't like the invasion of privacy and security. I'm like, no way. I don't want facial recognition tech part of my personal or daily life. But you know what? Many young people are now getting really used to facial recognition Mm -hmm. technology, opening their smartphones. They think it keeps their data secure and they're getting more comfortable with it. So I think there's going to be a part of the population that just hates facial recognition technology and another that embraces it. So as a leader, what you can't do is just lock yourself into what you think you like or Uh, what you think is going to happen. You have to understand it's going to unfold in multiple different directions. The last thing I would say, and look, I have a number of ways to think about the future, but we kind of hit on it earlier. We must, as business leaders and as a society and as species, do a much better job of thinking long-term. We are Mm -hmm. too focused on short-term thinking. And for business leaders, it is not simply short-term success that you need to be focused on. You need to be thinking about long-term survivability. And so when those Mm -hmm. external shocks to the system happen, and none of us know what those external shocks are going to be, have you Mm -hmm. created a resilient system that is flexible and adaptable enough to survive whatever comes. Because the one thing we do know, stuff is coming. We just <laughs> ain't exactly sure what it's going to be. That's right. That's right. Well, and it, and it sounds like, uh, and I know you speak a lot about the, the concept of, of, of foresight, which involves, you know, scenario planning and, and things like that. And it, it sounds like that's what you're touching on here is you've got as a business leader, as a technology leader, you you've got to be ready for multiple futures, right? right? Multiple possibilities. How, how far in the future as a business owner, do I need to be, or not even, not even really as a business owner, but I'm a technology professional. I, I you know, I might be a chief information officer or a chief technology officer. How in the future do I need to be, how far do I need to be thinking? Really good question. And I'm going to give you a, uh, a simple answer, and I'm not going to say this is a perfect answer, but what I tell my business audiences is 10 years. And here's why. Here's how most of us think about time. What do I need to do now? What do I need to do today? What do I need to do next? And by next, most people think next quarter, next year, and then they uh-huh. think longer term, future. What I suggest and what I encourage business leaders to do is just shift that around slightly. We always need to think about what we need to do today, but I'm here to tell you the trends that are going to transform our world in 10 years are so powerful that we have to bring forward that future next and begin Mm -hmm. thinking 10 years out. Because if we broadly get that right, it dictates what we should begin doing in the next quarter, in the next 
year. And so when I talk about artificial intelligence and blockchain and metaverse and gene editing technology, I pull my audiences 10 years into the future and just say, look, in a world of exponential change, let's understand how big, how powerful these trends may be and how they could transform our world in some really powerful, disruptive ways, and then walk them back and to say, okay, now what do we need to begin doing in the near term to position for this future? How do we become aware of it? How do we begin benchmarking against which trends are growing, which ones aren't going as fast as we think they are going? So uh, to answer your question, 10 years out is my yeah. recommendation. And, and then you help them you help them break it down by chunks of time, right? If, if that's, if that's what we're thinking 10 years from now, then three years or five years, here's what we're thinking, right? So that they can then put yeah. those steps together. Yeah. So could I just give you a, a real world example? Uh, yeah. You yeah. know, I work a lot with ag businesses and farmers and uh, primarily in the Midwest. So corn is this huge crop, right? Mm-hmm. And so I say to them, look, you need to be, tracking where electric vehicles may be in 10 years. And because in 10 years, if the number of electric vehicles is 70%, for example, that means mm-hmm. the demand for gas is going to go down. Gas gas goes down. The demand for ethanol goes down. Demand for ethanol mm-hmm. goes down. Corn goes down. Corn goes down. Land prices in Iowa yeah. and the Midwest may plummet. Now, I don't want to say that that will happen, but as a farmer, you have to acknowledge that's a possibility. So now, mm-hmm. what do we begin doing? Okay, we say, first, where do we expect the future to be? And farmers are fascinating. Some will say they think only 5% of all new vehicles are going to be electric, and others say it's going to uh-huh. be 90 And so, so yeah. I work with both ranges, and frequently both ranges are within the same group. So I say, okay. Let's listen to the outliers. Why? First, let's challenge our own thinking. If you think it's going to be really high, let's listen to the skeptics. If you're skeptics, let's listen to the optimists. But then I say, now you have to start tracking battery technology. Is it getting better? Is it getting more affordable? What are the major Mm -hmm. uh, automobile companies doing? You can put in place specific benchmarks in which you can hold yourself accountable for whether the future is in fact moving faster or slower than you think. And if it's moving faster, well, then you had better begin taking action in the short term to begin diversifying your crops, for example, or whatever it is. But I do that with a lot of different technologies, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I I love that concept of you, you've got these scenarios and you're watching them and are they coming at you faster than you thought slower than you thought so that you can make your adjustments uh, on, right. on that. That I, I, I love that. And with your, with your uh, work in, in ag, I don't know if this company is on your radar screen. This will be a tangent, but uh, Beck's hybrid seed company here in Indiana, they are uh, doing some amazing things with, with technology uh, and putting technology in the hands of, of the farmer. Uh, I'll have to connect you with uh, Brad Fruth over there. He's the uh, vice president of innovation, I think, is his title. Ah, okay. I, you, you'd love having the conversation with him. Um, anyway, back back to what, what we're talking about here. And, and I know this is another area of passion for you, 
Jack. And it's also one of the trends. I mentioned Gartner and Infotech earlier. One of the trends that they both mentioned is sustainability. Uh, now, because they're, they're tech research companies, right, they're looking at uh, how are we measuring it? What are we doing it? What are the KPIs we need to be paying attention to? What are some of the trends that you're seeing at the, at the organizational level in regards to sustainability? Yeah, well, I'm seeing quite a bit. First, and again, I don't mean to keep this on ag at all, but like what's happening with regenerative agriculture and understand regenerative agriculture is all about storing additional carbon in the ground, protecting biodiversity and uh, helping improve yields. But in order to do that, we need a lot of data, satellite data, sensors in the field, and it's going to transform ag in a powerful way. But we have to get to a regenerative system because if we don't, there aren't going to be uh, farms in the future. But I also see uh, in terms of, uh, on the business side, the whole supply chain. Um, who is the company that you and I were uh, talking about earlier? Oh, IKEA. And just what they're yeah, doing IKEA. in terms <laughs> of a, a circular supply chain, sort of yeah. understanding the full life cycle of a project. Companies have been talking about this for years, but now they're really getting serious about it. But the real shift is more and more consumers are taking mm -hmm. it seriously and they are voting with their dollars and they now have additional tools through their smartphones to understand when they go to buy a product like, hey, is this company really serious about reducing their water usage? Are they involved in circular? And I don't mean to say every consumer is doing that because of course that's not true, but more and more are. And so I, I actually think the change around sustainability is going to be driven first by consumers and then by enlightened leaders who say, look, this just makes good business sense. We are reducing mm -hmm. our costs. We're being more efficient. We're being smarter. And oh, by the way, uh, the planet, the planet and, you know, biodiversity and others are beneficiaries of this. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. It's definitely a trend. I would say it's not growing as fast as I either would have expected it to or how, personally how fast I would like to see it. But uh, more and more businesses are getting uh, really serious about it. Yeah. Well, and I think some of the some of the um, the filing requirements at the I think it's the SEC uh, where you're now having to to uh, really provide data on uh, your your ESG uh, processes within your organizations, that'll start to drive some of it as, as well. You know, regulation doesn't matter where you fall on that side of things, but that'll that'll drive change as well. And you know, it, it changes around us all the time, right? It's it's that what's that old saying? It's uh, change is the only constant, right? Uh, and, and I know that you do a lot of teaching uh, to business leaders about how to prepare for the unexpected, uh, the unknown, right? Uh, you, you and I uh, met through our mutual passion for Lewis and Clark, and you do a, you do a course on leading into the unknown. So how do you, how do you teach uh, boards of directors and CEOs and the C-suite uh, to prepare for the unexpected, the unknown? Yeah. So let me just, um, step back and first uh, some 
listeners might be just wondering what a futurist does. And I like to use the quick uh, acronym. I, I call it the big aha, but aha is the acronym. And it stands for awareness, humility, and action. First, we need to be aware of the trends that might transform our world. Next, we need humility to the idea that the way we think about our business, our business model, our customers today might not be how we think about those things in the future. And then the final A stands for action, because as a futurist, I love this quote from Peter Drucker, who said, the only way to predict the future is to create it yourself. But in order to do that, you have to take action. And so to answer your question, I think the first thing I try to do is just lift my audience's heads and and open their ears and say, hey, let's look at all of the trends that could potentially transform our world. Next, let's listen to the voices on the edge. There's this wonderful quote from a science fiction writer, William Gibson, who said, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And I love that quote. But what he means is the future is out on the edge. Like there are people working on some weird stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And rather than dismiss the weirdos and the sort of the oddballs, invite them in and say, hey, Mm -hmm. what are you working on? And ask them like, hey, how might this affect me? And more often than not, they're more than happy to tell you. Yeah. But then the final thing, the A, is you need to take action. And here's where we need to get more comfortable with experimentation, with risks, with Mm -hmm. pilot projects, with reaching out to different partners. Why? Because none of us know, not even professional futurists, what's going to work in the future. So we have to take some actions. And again, I'm not advocating that we bet the farm or bet the whole business on any risky project, but we have to start trying different things. We have to get into our discomfort zone. And so that's really what I do. You know, the awareness, help people unlearn what it is they think they know, and then help people take action. I, I love I love that phrase, Jack. And I was I was reading about that uh, earlier as I was preparing for our conversation. Uh, unlearn, uh, teaching people to unlearn. And I know you focused uh, on that for uh, several years in, in your career. That unlearning concept. That I, the imagery. So Jeff, it, yeah, go ahead. With your listeners right now, hey listeners, I don't care what state you are in. Just answer this question in your head. What two colors are the yield sign in your home state? Take a minute, actually just a couple of seconds. My guess is you already have an answer. And my guess is most of you thought the answer was yellow or yellow and black. If that's what you thought, you are wrong. The yield sign has been red and white since 1971 for 51 (laughs) years. And so to me, this is just a wonderful metaphor for the need to unlearn. Like we hold in our head ideas that we think are right but they're wrong. Like yield signs were 50 years ago, yellow and black, but they've been red and white and we've been driving by them for decades now. And so to me, that's just a metaphor. We learn things early in our career and they work, but that does the world changes, but we don't see those changes as quickly or as easily as we would like to believe we do. 
Yes. I, I love that example. And, and I was in a class you were teaching that you used that example and I would have bet the farm on the yellow yeah. and black. I just, it just would have, um, but you're right. I, I even had to go out uh, after, after the class and, and find a yield sign. Cause I was like, no way, no way. But no, right. it, it's funny. I'm always, there's usually always one old timers like, well, in my rural area, there's still yellow and black. I'm like, no, they're not. Like, you go out, <laughs> take a picture, send it to me. No one has ever done it because yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you might be able to find one hanging on a wall in an old country bar somewhere, but they're not on the road anymore. Not on the road. Well, I want to talk for a minute about your your most recent book, uh, Regeneration, Sowing Seeds for a Future of Reimagination, Reconnection, and Regeneration. And I love that imagery that that brings, sowing seeds. Uh, give us a synopsis. What what do you explore in this book? It, what I explore in this book is, um, I mean, it's a, it's a deeper book than I've typically written. I mean, I've always written about emerging technologies. One of the really big trends I see is more and more, especially business leaders, are reuniting their heart with their mind to say it's not just about making money. It is, of course, we have to use the levers of business and capitalism, but the goal cannot simply be to make more money. How do we become better employees? How do we treat our employees better, our customers better, our communities better, and ultimately the planet? And so then from there, I just uh, say the next thing we have to do is the most atrophied muscle in the human anatomy, I would argue, is our imagination. We've allowed uh, our imagination to atrophy, and we have to reimagine a better future. One, as a futurist, look, nobody knows the future, but most people are driven and motivated by fear. And if you wa actually watch most Netflix shows about the future, they're very dystopian in nature. Uh -huh. But I'm here to tell you, the future can be unbelievably beautiful. We, we can have clean, renewable energy. We can have preventative healthcare. We can have affordable transportation. We can have affordable housing. We can have better, healthier, uh, more affordable food. We do, all of those are technologically possible. And there are businesses working on it. And what I want to do in the book, again, is, and let me just give a little shout out to you. I was on your website earlier, and I love how you say, look, there are no maps to the future. What we need are, you know, we have to navigate differently. And mm -hmm. I absolutely, there aren't any maps to the future, but we can use metaphors. And so here's mm -hmm. the metaphor of the book. And I ask your listeners to sort of keep this in heart. Inside a caterpillar are all of the ingredients that, in fact, create the butterfly. But if you just looked at the but or at the caterpillar, it's brown, it's sluggish, it's crawling. There's no way you could envision a bright, beautiful flying cat. But reality and science tells us that is, in fact, possible. And I like to liken our business society today is a caterpillar. We have all of the components to create an entirely different 
better, more beautiful system. But what happens in caterpillars is they first begin dissolving to, to themselves. And to me, that's the metaphor for unlearning. We're mm-hmm. going to have to dissolve and let go of some of our ideas in yeah. order to get us to begin transforming into a more beautiful world. And I actually see business as the realm to do this. I don't think government is going to be able to do it. And mm-hmm. again, I see business leaders actually just trying to create the more beautiful future they want. And I wanted to highlight them in the book and I wanted to invite other readers and businesses in to say, here is how they did it. Here are yep. some things I think you can learn from it, but you're going to have to do it yourself. So, Well, I have definitely added it to my reading list. Uh, shame on me for not uh, doing it when it came out earlier this year. Uh, but uh, in getting ready, I saw that book and was kind of digging into it a little bit. Uh, and uh, it, it's now uh, in my input queue, so to speak. All right. Well, well, Jack, we are out of time, and and I knew that I knew this uh, thirty minutes would just fly by. Uh, here on Status Go, we we are all about action. We we want to leave our listeners with a very explicit call to action. So, what are one or two things our listeners should go do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? So the first thing is, and I'm going to give a little plug for myself, uh, and I want to tie it back to thinking. Uh, In order to think about the future, the first thing you need to do, this is common sense, you need to take time to think. And I actually advocate that all business leaders, I call it my future Friday 15. Just take 15 minutes to focus on the future. Have a closed door policy. Don't let other employees or any. And to make this even more simple, every Friday morning, I send out a one-page newsletter, and I just call it my Friday Future 5 with five articles. And I say to my subscribers, and you can subscribe free, don't read all five, just read one, but then engage in the really hard, difficult world work of thinking through as many possible implications, both threats, Mm -hmm. disruptions, as well as opportunities. So please take time to think uh, deeply about the future and try and make a Friday Future 15 a, uh, a regular habit, because I think that's where the future value of your business is going to come from. It does not come from thinking about what you need to do today. It comes from thinking about the future. So it behooves all of us to spend more time thinking about the future. I, I think that is a, that that's a great call to action is carving out those 15 minutes. Uh, Fridays sound like a great time to do it. Uh, and I will say to our listeners, I, I, I read Jack's newsletter as it, as it comes out and, uh, the, the five things are usually something that uh, really strike home because you've been you've been kind of noodling on it, or at least it's there's a there's a tickle there somewhere in your brain of something you need to pay attention to. And he brings it uh, right to the forefront. And so being able to spend some time thinking about that is uh, it, it's a it's a great way to think about how those things will impact your business. So. Thank you for that call to action, Jack. And and thank you for taking time, uh, incredibly short notice. Our listeners don't know this, but I just reached out to Jack a couple of days ago, and uh, he was gracious enough to uh, make time this morning to to talk to us. And I really appreciate that, Jack. I really do. Jeff, my pleasure. And uh, I would love to come back uh, next year or sometime in the future and be, uh, be your guest again. 
Absolutely. Would love that. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links. We'll be sure and link to Jack's uh, newsletter that you can sign up for, uh, as well as contact information. Uh, This is Jeff Tun for Jack Aldrich. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.